Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was one of the greatest defenders ever to wear an NBA uniform. His 12-year pro career featured eight selections to the NBA All-Defensive First Team, the first ever NBA Six-Man Award, membership on the ABA All-Rookie Team, four appearances in the NBA All-Star Game, one in the ABA All-Star Game, an NBA Championship with the Philadelphia 76ers in 1983. Any team he ever played for in his career in the professional ranks Never missed the playoffs. Probably the statement that sums it up best is the way Hall of Famer and my favorite basketball player of all time, Julius Irving, described him. He's a player who's totally selfless, who runs like a deer, jumps like a gazelle, plays with his head and heart each night, and then walks away from the court as if nothing happened. If I was going to ask a youngster to model after someone, I would pick him. It is a thrill to welcome the man Dr. J was referring to, the man whose number 24 76ers jersey hangs in the rafters with the other Sixers greats, the one and only Bobby Jones. Welcome, Bobby. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. You know, we felt that you would be the perfect guest for tonight on so many levels. One, because your 76er championship team, like the current Warriors, you know, came the closest to sweeping through the playoffs. You played on one of the truly great teams in the NBA, in all of NBA history. And you coached Steph Curry as a high schooler. So thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yes, sir. Happy to do it. Now, before we get to those, those points, it's interesting to note that in high school, you actually like track and field better than basketball. You twice won the state high jump title, finishing second in your junior year, which this is also unbelievable. This blows my mind. This is why I love when you can go back and search things on the Internet. To a guy named Bob McAdoo. Uh, yes. As a senior, you broke the state record by clearing the bar at a height of 6 feet 8 inches. When did your attention shift from track to basketball, and when did you think that basketball actually could be a career for you? Well, Mark, I, I really I think I love I love. Uh, track a lot more than basketball early on. My dad kind of got me out on the basketball court, and um, I didn't have much success early, but I think by late high school, I started to realize that, you know, basketball was something I, with my size, my height, that, that could help me get a college scholarship, and so that was really the, the time for that, I guess. Well, it's interesting because that shift pays dividends as colleges become interested, and you end up playing for the legendary Dean Smith at the University of North Carolina. You know, so many people ha have talked about Dean Smith. What was the biggest thing you learned from Dean Smith? Well, there's several things. I think the, one of the main things I, I learned is to treat people in a in a, in, in, in a right way with, with respect and uh, and expectations that are realistic. And I. I can remember going to practices every day, and uh, he'd had a he had the practice plan typed up, and you were expected to memorize the quote of the day, um, and if you were called on, you were expected to be able to recite that, and um, and so the, he he just held you, you know, to more than basketball. He would bring us in every semester, you know, talk about our grades, why'd you get a C in this course, what's going on with this course, and um, just I remember one of the first meetings I ever had with him. He asked me. Are you the kind of guy that needs to be yelled at in practice? And I was just shocked that he would even ask me that. And I said, well, Coach, and I really I don't like to be yelled at generally. He said, well, okay, that's fine. And so for four years, he never he never yelled at me. Now, the other guy said, you know, I, I need to kind of kick in the rear end sometimes. And, yeah, I do need to be yelled at. So he, he tailored his coaching to the type players that he had. 
you know, I, I found an interview you did from 36 years ago. That's how far back sometimes we look. And you're talking about playing for Dean Smith, and you said, if it weren't for Co- if I'd gone to any other school, I probably would not have been in pro basketball. Well, that's true, yeah. What, what yeah, happened? He, how, how did Dean Smith prepare you for the NBA or make you an NBA candidate? Well, as a high school kid, I, you know, I, I scored a lot of points, got a lot of rebounds. Just because I was tall, I was probably three, five inches taller than anybody in the area of in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I played high school ball. And when I got to North Carolina, they taught me the, the fundamentals on how to play defense, how to give help, how to how to let go of your man and go across the lane and, and stop the driver or take a charge or block a shot. And uh, coming from behind, you know, knock the ball out, go in bowling, what we called it. And, uh, he, he really kind of uh, sort of set me free to say, you know, if you take those chances – you're, you're not going to be punished because your man scores. And the philosophy of North Carolina was if, if somebody scores, they scored on all five of us, not on one of us. So that really kind of gave me uh, – because I wasn't a great one-on-one player. Never, I never was a you know, high score as far as you know, being a, a stop and pop sort of. I could get tip-ins. I could you know, shoot a mid-range shot from the elbow. But uh, that was about it. So being able to play defense and because I could jump a little bit, that really kind of gave me a, a – a, and in, uh, in in my future to to other teams. You know, it's interesting you note that because you know AJ and I have talked about this a lot because we're now in the era of one and done in the college ranks. And it should be noted that you were selected after your junior season in the 1973 special circumstance draft by the ABA Carolina Cougars. But you wanted to finish your psychology degree, and you wanted to you know continue to round out your game. So you returned to North Carolina for your senior year. How much do you think the one-and-done has hurt player development in the NBA these days? Well, I think it's hurt, hurt it a lot. I, you know, it, I think that's, that's opened the door really for a lot of European and other, other players who are great athletes. But more than that, they've, they've learned some fundamentals that some of our kids seem to, seem to lack uh, that they probably don't get during AAU basketball sometimes. And, and it's just something that really needs to, they, they, they need more than one year of training. And, you know, because there's not really a minor leagues for basketball, uh, colleges has become that de facto. So um, it's, a, it's a shame, but, um, you know, you wish that uh, circumstances were different. And you think with one and dones also, your, your strengths were the things that say don't show up in the box score. That with one and dones, do you think they don't teach a lot of those things, the things that basically were the heart of your game, doesn't get emphasized now with a one-and-done, and how does that hurt the game, the NBA game? Well, I think it has, and I think, you know, the, the, just the, the, with the increased media on the, on the game, scoring has become, you know, the, the all-in-all uh, ultimate goal for everybody, to be able to hit the three and to, to do those things. But uh, I remember when I was playing as a, when, with the Sixers, my goal was every year to get a 100 block shots and 100 steals because I thought those two stats – were unselfish stats. They weren't going to hurt anybody else, and it would it would actually help our team get more possessions. So, I didn't do it all the time. I think I did it five or six times, maybe in my career. But it was it was things like that that I I, I learned from Coach Smith. You know, um, the, the little saying on the on the locker room door was "United we stand, divided we fall." And I learned that, you know, if I can play to help somebody else become better, then I become better. And I, you know, you, you mentioned a stat that I, I played on a playoff team uh, every year. I think part of that was because I played with some really good players who made me better. And I think when you have that, um, you want to continue that, and, and you want to make them better too. So there is responsibility there. 
We would talk about some of the players you played together with. Obviously, after your senior year, you're selected by the Houston Rockets with the fifth overall pick in the 74 NBA draft. In the meantime, the Cougars franchise was moved to Missouri after the 73-74 season, became the Spirits of St. Louis. Former Carolina coach Larry Brown had moved on to Denver Nuggets. And after acquiring your rights from St. Louis in exchange for Marvin Barnes, the Nuggets outbid Houston, and you're a member of the Denver Nuggets. Now, we've talked on this team, on this radio station, all season long about the super team concept. You look at that Denver Nuggets team, one that went 65-19 and 19 in 74-75, the best record in the ABA that year, second best mark in league history. You look at that team, and again, so much, again, of that super team concept. You know, Dan Issel, Marvin Webster, uh, you, and to me, maybe the biggest overlooked superstar of the era, David Thompson, that, to me, is pretty much as close to a super team that there is. Then you throw in your 76ers team as well. Do you think there's too much made of the quote-unquote super team these years, these days? Well, I think it. Uh, you know, I, I like I like competitive basketball, and I and I remember back in uh, when we won when we swept the Lakers in '83, we were losing at halftime of every one of those games. It wasn't like it was a blowout in any of those games. So, I think it does take away something from. Uh, the way that, you know the, the game is viewed by the public, but uh, you know, I look back on those super teams. Uh, you know, it's it's fun to be a part of those because you know, for me, again, I wasn't the go-to guy. If you have a guy who can score the ball, uh, you can do other things, and you're freed up. So if there, if a team is a super team, and you are maybe have some other talents, maybe it's rebounding, maybe it's running, getting the break, maybe it's stopping somebody. That really. Um, enhances you, but I do think publicly it, it, uh, it's not the best I- ideal. You know, I wanted to touch a little bit on David Thompson because, you know, when I was looking at those teams, I remember how much I loved watching him play. Um, you played against him as well as with him. Why do you think Skywalker is one of those Hall of Famers that never, you know, you watch the NBA season all season long this year. If you watch it on TNT, you're watching Nick game. I don't think I heard David Thompson's name mentioned once this entire season, yet you hear other players that are in the Hall of Fame. Why do you think he's so overlooked? Well, I think part of it is his personality. David's a very quiet person. Uh, David, David was a guy that never beat his chest, saying, look at me. And we have so many athletes you know, who, who do that. They just say, hey, look how great I am. Look what I've done. And David was not that kind of guy. He was a very selfless player also. He had the talent to score, but he, he could do other things too. I mean, he'd play defense, block shots, run the floor. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's a lot of it. He just wasn't that kind of guy that drew attention to himself and uh, just, just did did extraordinary things that uh, people seem to forget about. Following Mark's questions about super teams, I think one of the big differences between the super teams then and the super teams now is then they were put together by general managers. Right. Not you know, now, now you've got <laughs> players who say, here are the guys I want to play with. Let's put a team together. It's like you're doing you know, pickup games on the playground. How do you feel about the trend for basically players picking who they want to play with and putting together their own super teams? Well, I think AJ. One of the things, that, uh, one of the problems that has happened in our in our in our league is shoe contracts have become so important and so great that really people are able to take a financial burden away from uh, you know having to move from one team to another and just say I'm gonna, I want to play on a team that's going to win every game, uh, and that is really kind of detrimental to the uh, the purpose of a competitive league. And so I, I don't feel great about it. I don't, uh, you know, I I, I certainly. You know, I follow the Sixers, and you know they've they've had their struggles, but you know they're trying. And uh, you know the, the Warriors, you know they're, they're a good team to watch. But you know if you if you watch somebody win by 20 every night, I mean, at some point you just turn the TV off and just say, hey, 
you know, they're going to win. It's not going to be exciting, so let's move on. Even more so when those are playoff games. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, let's get back to that point then. You know, obviously, up until the last game, there was talk that this team was going to run the table, be 14-0, first team in all of professional sports ever to sweep, you know, three, four series in a row. You guys, obviously now, with them, if they close out the series, will be the two teams that only lost one game in the playoffs. 82-83, 76ers, Dr. J, Moses, Mo Cheeks, you, 65-16, first in the NBA Atlantic, 12-1 in route to the champion. The one loss coming to Don uh, Nelson's Bucks. Granted, it was one less round, but can you put in perspective all these years later, just you know that run, how dominant it was from a player standpoint? Granted, like you said, in a lot of those games, halftime you guys were losing, you weren't running up scores, but twelve and one in the playoffs is a really impressive run. Well, it was a good run, uh, and I think you know the fact that we were down at, at halftime. Those we didn't really care about that. We we had, we were a type of team that kind of wore teams down. Moses on the inside was just he would just wear guys down, and, and we could we we could always count on that. So that was that was a lot of fun to go through those kind of games and and to know that we we were going to have it. We were going to be there at the end, no matter what. We'd have a chance to win. Maybe we wouldn't win, but um, and I remember in the first round uh, we played New York and we were down twenty in New York, and I was sick. I wasn't even at the game. Um, and we came back and won that game. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of character on that team, and there were a lot of guys who who stepped up. You know, Earl Curitan, uh Clint Richardson, um, guys off the bench, uh, Clement Johnson, who who really you know don't get any uh, uh, accolades, but you know with with the deep bench that you have, you can you can do those kind of things. You can wear teams down. You know, I'm 57 years old. Somewhere along the line, my fandom of the NBA waned, uh, I wouldn't even say a bit. You know, my idols were Willis Reed, Pistol Pete Maravich, Dr. J, Air Jordan. It's been a while for me to get excited about a player. Uh, one of those players, though, that I really now love watching is Steph Curry. And he's one of those players that when you have an opportunity to in- tune in, I'll turn on that game. You had a chance to see a lot of him at Charlotte Christian, and in the summer, after his junior year, Sepp played for a traveling team coached by you as well as his dad, Dell. What do you remember about his game back then? Well, I remember that uh, you know he was always very serious about his game. He, he, I remember, I remember coaching uh, a varsity team, and, and, and Stefan was on, a, on either on the JV or middle school team, and I can't remember which one it was. But he came in after one of the road games. We were still practicing, and he was. He was down. They'd gotten beaten, and but you could just—they came into the gym and started shooting. And it, as I watched him play, I was just always amazed at how many rebounds he could get. He, his motor just continually ran. He would, he would always go in and try to get a rebound. You know, again, back then he was really physically weak and not, you know, not strong enough. But he had the mental toughness to do what he needed to do to to make things happen. And uh, in that AAU uh, situation, we had some really. High-level players who were signed with North Carolina and other big uh, Wake Forest and other schools, and you know he hadn't—I don't know if he'd even decided where to go yet—but he was—he um, was by far, by far the best player on that team, uh, just because he was willing to do what he needed to do, whether it was to get open, and that's what I, I enjoy watching him now. Guys don't like to guard him because they don't—they don't want to go over two or three screens, and and Stephen is willing to to move as much as he has to to get open and get an open shot, and when he does, uh, it's. Uh, it's usually three points. What type of changes do you see in his game from when you coach him in high school and what he, how he plays now? Well, I think it's just a matter of, of maturity. I mean, he's, he's always, I think, and I, I give his parents credit on this, that he's given them, they've given him a, a, a nurturing family, a, a confidence, an inner confidence in him, who he is as a person. And I think that's, that's important for, for a lot of players. 
so that he knows that he's going to be loved. He's going to be accepted no matter what happens. But he also has the motivation to see that he, his dad played in the NBA. He has those same skill sets, and he can do what uh, you know and, and do beyond what his dad did. And so, I think that's uh, just the physical maturity has has helped him. Uh, and a lot of guys, I think, would just you know take a summer off or take take more time off. Stephen didn't take time off. He, he was he's shooting. He's shooting the ball, or he's working on his ball handling, or he's doing something. Uh, to make himself better, and he's gotten stronger. You know, he was came in the NBA as a defensive liability, supposedly, and now he's, you know, one of the top steals leader in the league. And uh, it's just been fun to watch his uh, his growth. You know, as a player who built his game on defense, when you watch the NBA today, what makes the NBA players' ability today? You know, I, I don't think defense is played the way it was this, back this in your day. Or it's not the defense of the Knicks of, right. of the early 90s. And is that maybe a function of the ability of all these guys to, you know, every guy on a team is pretty decent from three-point range. Does that change the way teams defend? Well, I think, I think a lot of things change. You know, the, the spacing of the court changes. There's more uh, opportunity to take the shot or more, more opportunity to, to drive the ball. Uh, and I think that uh, as you do that, when you try to defend somebody like that, and the, and the offensive player now gets another step or half a step at least, uh, the euro step supposedly, that really that really makes it tough for a defender to try to be able to cut a guy off um, and 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 stop him from shooting the ball in a regular position. Now a lot of guys will make circus shots, and and now what has been called a circus shot now well, half the time goes in because these guys are used to doing it and they practice those shots. So it's it's difficult because of the uh, you know basketball in such an NBA it's, it's entertainment and if you don't score it's not entertaining so the offense has the advantage uh, with with the way the rules are structured and that's just that's just the way it is you as a defender you just have to do the best you can to try to get a hand up on their face or try to try to bother the shot um, of shooters and a lot of guys don't aren't willing to make that effort. It's so interesting because guys of my era and and you know the young fans that watch the game today, there's always these debates and the the biggest debates and and the most fun are when you try to compare players and teams from different eras. And obviously, there's no definitive answer, but it's always fun. So here's a few for you: How would your '76ers team match up against the Warriors and Cavs? And what man-on-man isolations would be the keys to those series? You know, that's a that's, that's tough. I. I I look at the Warriors. I think if, if we had to play them, I would probably have to guard Durant, and that would be that'd be a real challenge. You know, his release point is you know ten feet up in the air, and I I would have to say that I would probably try to block his shot and and and, and waste a foul, even if I did jumping into him, just to let him think that there may be somebody who could do that. Um, but other than that, I mean, the guy, the, you know, we we have a pretty good defensive team. Reese Cheeks, I think, would would be one of those guys who could stay with Stefan, but. You know, with the way they work, um, the game has progressed to where you know they're obviously the better team. They they, they shoot the ball better. They have more range, and um, those kind of things would be difficult against Cleveland. You know, I think LeBron would be a handful for anybody. Um, you know, he would he he would he would remind me of the old George McGinnis, who was just a, kind of a strong guy on the court and could do whatever he wanted to, and uh, had a nice touch also. So. Uh, Playing those type teams would be difficult. Although I think the Sixers would have some answers. You know, with a guy like Andrew Tony who could score uh, in streaks, um, and Julius who could do whatever he wanted. <laughs> Moses on the inside would, would I think, would be unstoppable. So, you know, there, there'd be it'd be interesting. I think. 
for sure. Bobby, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, those Nugget teams and 76ers are still among some of my favorite teams of all time. We really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. The great Bobby Jones.